The following audio is from Park Church in Denver, Colorado. More information about Park Church is available online at parkchurchdenver.org. Today's scripture reading is from Luke 10, 25 through 37. Luke 10, 25 through 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, He had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, Park Church. I hope you're well. Uh, My name is Gary. I'm one of the pastors here at Park. Um, As I get set up here, I want to give you a heads up. We are taking a break uh, today as we've been considering what's going on in our culture broadly, some stuff that God's doing in our church and in our own hearts as we prayed about that with our leadership team. We felt like it was important to take time today to specifically address the issue of racial justice. Um, This is something we've addressed as a church. We've been preaching about, teaching about, kind of working on and growing in. How does the gospel move us as a people to show love to people who have been oppressed by systemic injustice or other forms of injustice? How do we care about that and engage in that in a way that's centered on the gospel, that's saturated with his word, and that's full of love and compassion? So we've been working on that for a number of years, but especially with the current climate in our world and some of the conversations I've had with people in our church, we felt like it'd be really important to um, kind of address it from the Bible specifically this Sunday. And so as we talk about that, I want to let you know that I'm really aware of a number of different people that are going to be watching this. Um, We have a a lot of people of color in our church, people in the black community and other people of color for whom this conversation um, is is a really vulnerable conversation. It's, It's full of emotions and experiences and maybe pain and wounds you have from things that have happened to you in society or conversations you've been a part of in the church or in broader culture. Um, Some of you are feeling right now a lot of hope. There's actually movement. People are paying attention and talking about these issues. You're seeing change and other people that are beginning to learn and engage. Some some of you feel that kind of as a hopeful experience. Uh, Others of you might feel very weary, um, tired. Again, you might feel vulnerable from the conversation. Um, I want you to know that I know that you're watching. I know that you're here. I know that you're a part of this community. 
And, and I think Jesus cares about you and wants to tend to you and care for you. And we as a church are attentive to your presence and we're really grateful. I think as we talk about this conversation of racial justice, um, there's an important piece for us to give a specific attention to the care for those who have been hurt by systems and cultures and experiences of injustice in our nation. I'm also aware that there are white people in our church that also feel a lot of energy and passion around this, that feel a hunger to see God do something in our hearts and in our church and in our city. And you've been engaging and learning and growing in different ways. You've been active. And so you're feeling some movement. Maybe you feel hopeful, maybe you feel discouraged, uh, but you're here. There are others that are just beginning to kind of wade into this kind of issue. You see kind of the, the conversations that are happening in culture and you see the things that are happening, these kind of, kind of these moments of injustice and you're beginning to see the patterns of injustice and learning about the history of injustice and you're wading into this, but you're just beginning to learn. Um, others of you are maybe confused. You're not sure what to think. You're not sure whether the church should be talking about this or not. There are others in our church and in the community that feel like this is not something that the church should be wading into. Uh, and you have different kind of reasons why you might feel resistant to these conversations. And maybe already you have kind of guards going up or walls coming up. And I just want to encourage all of you. What, what we're trying to talk about here is not a polarized political thing. We're trying to look at God's word and say, what has God designed for us as human beings, as his people in the middle of this world that have been redeemed by his grace through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, who have been saved by grace, by grace through faith in Christ alone? Well, what does he call for us to do? How does he call for us as people who have received his spirit, received his love? How does he call us to embody his love and his heart for justice in this world? And we think that's a really important thing that God cares about, that God cares about racial justice and issues related to racial justice. And he wants us as his people to care. He wants us as his people to care. And so we, so we believe that. And so wherever you're at kind of on this spectrum, however like this moment is hitting you, I want to encourage you, what we're talking about today is God's call to know his love for humanity and to embody his love for humanity. And so wherever you're at on that journey of love, that's what we want to look at is what is God calling us as his people into as those that are called to embody his love, to reflect his love back to him, to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And so we're going to look at that in the word today. We need to pray because I feel very aware that the Holy Spirit is going to be needing to care for and guide us as a community through this. And so I want to encourage you uh, to give grace, to open up your heart instead of approaching this kind of in an argumentative, debate-oriented, kind of hypercritical-oriented thinking. Let's, let's approach it as being kind of sensitive. What is the Spirit of God wanting to do in my heart? What might God's Spirit want to do in my heart. So let's pray and ask him to work. Um, Jesus, we come today in desperate need of you. I need you in this moment uh, desperately. I don't want to misrepresent your heart in any way. I don't want to say things that are harmful or unhelpful or hurtful. I want your word to be clear. I want your heart, your heart of love for the world and for people from every ethnicity, every tribe, every language, tongue, every people group, every culture, your heart for your human beings, your image bearers, diverse and beautiful around the world, that your heart would be seen and rejoiced in by your church and through your church. We need you to do that. 
Uh, We also need your Holy Spirit to do what you do, Holy Spirit, that you would convict us of sin and righteousness and judgment, that you would actually push on areas where we misrepresent your heart and that you would bring conviction, not to the point of guilt and shame, but a kind of a humble repentance that would lead to transformation, that we'd grow, that we'd mature, that we'd continue on this journey, not as those who are kind of walking and wallowing in shame, but those who are loved by God, being transformed by your grace. And so, Spirit, would you help us today pour out grace on this church family, bind us together, give us this gentleness, this humility, this patience and forbearance, this eagerness to work towards this unity, the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And we pray for justice, that your heart for justice would be seen and experienced and demonstrated by your people in this world, that we'd be a light to the nations. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Uh, We're looking specifically at Luke chapter 10 this morning. Uh, It is one of the more famous teachings from Jesus uh, about the nature of what he's calling his people to be about in this world. And so I want to just dive right into the story and then we're going to back up and look at a couple different aspects uh, of what Jesus is doing in the story. This is Luke chapter 10 starting in verse 25. He says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Um, Jesus has been teaching a lot about that the people of God and their ministry in the world. He's sending people out to kind of be his hands and his feet in the world to bring the ministry of reconciliation and love and transformation and hope and salvation into the world. And in that kind of context, there's a lawyer who would have been a kind of a legal authority. And so we're not talking about kind of the, the way you think about a lawyer today, like a lawyer in sort of like a the law of the land or like American law, but this would have been a lawyer and a person that's an expert in biblical law. So this was a religious and society leader that was seen as an expert in biblical law, understanding the law of Moses, the Torah, and kind of bringing it to bear on kind of active situations in the Jewish community. So this person was a Bible expert. And this Bible expert, this, this expert in the law comes up to Jesus and the intention, it says, Luke says, was to put Jesus to the test, trying, trying to trip him up, trying to catch him in some heresy of some kind or something that they could have said was blasphemous. And so he's intending to put him to the test. And Jesus pulls a Jesus move, which is like this, always this kind of jujitsu, taking the person's question and kind of turning it on that person in a really stunning way. And he does it here in this passage. He says, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus says to him, he says, well, what is written in the law? How do you read it? In other words, like, hey, you're a legal expert. If you're, if you're really good at knowing the Bible, what do you think? Just turns the question right back to the person, putting that person kind of on the stand. And so this lawyer responds, he answers, he says, well, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength and with all of your mind. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Um, What this lawyer, what this kind of expert in the biblical law is doing is summarizing the whole law of Moses with kind of two different commands. This is really popular in the sort of first century Judaism and Judaism before was finding ways and hooks to sort of summarize everything that God had instructed for his people. As he had redeemed his people from slavery, brought them out of Egypt, out of bondage. He had filled them with his presence. His presence was there in the temple and was instructing them. Here's what it looks like to be a light to the world. 
Here's what it looks like to be salt and light in the world. And he gives them his instructions for a flourishing life in his kingdom. And it was 613 different laws that they had memorized, they had studied inside and out, but they'd find ways to summarize them. And this was a way to summarize everything that had been written in the book of Moses. In the books of Moses was to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, which comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, the Shema, and to love your neighbor as yourself, which comes from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, where they're called to actually extend the love of God that he's shown them to show it to other people in their community. And so this, this lawyer, this legal expert, summarizes it like this. And Jesus had summarized the law in very similar ways, really identical ways in Mark and Matthew um, and in Luke, where Jesus is saying, this is what summarizes God's vision for his people, that they would love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that you'd love your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus actually affirms them. He says, you have answered correctly. You nailed it. That's it. That's what God's calling us as his people that have received his love, been washed by his love, been forgiven by his grace, been reconciled to his presence, been filled with the spirit. What we're called to be, what we're called to be about is people who reflect that love back to God and reflect his love into the world and all of the relationships he's called us into. And so Jesus moves to this kind of next level. He says, all right, you understand it in your head, but he says, do this and you will live. That this is the path to flourishing life. This is the vision for life in my kingdom. If you want to experience flourishing life in my kingdom, know the love of God, receive his love, and reflect his love back to him and back to other people. Do this and you will live. And it puts this legal expert on the defensive because he went in with this intellectual kind of like question and now he's having to self-evaluate. Does he love God? And does he love people? And so he moves to this question. It says, but desiring to justify himself, in other words, desiring to prove that he was good enough and that he hadn't made mistakes and that he was righteous enough before God, that he had done done the law correctly. He, He then kind of moves into this other move where he's trying to, hone in who the neighbor is. Because if he can be specific about who he's actually called to love, then it can justify him not loving other people. And so he says this, he says, and who is my neighbor? And that was a really kind of like significant debate happening in the first century. Who is the neighbor that this Leviticus call to love your neighbor? Who's that speaking about? Most of the kind of early rabbis thought it was speaking specifically to the Jewish community and most specifically to the more moral and righteous and the less kind of like sinful and stained and unclean and impure people in the Jewish society. And so he says, who's my neighbor? And that's when Jesus tells this story. He says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed him, departed, leaving him half dead. Um, he says that there's a man, just a random man. He's telling a story to, to prove a point about who is this neighbor. What does it mean to reflect the love of God to the world? So he tells a story about a person who's going from Jerusalem down to Jericho. This would have been about a 17-mile trip, about 3,000 feet of elevation loss. It went through rocky terrain and through caves. And there was this area in the middle of this path that was called the Way of Adumim, the Way of Blood. It was the way of blood. And it was known there would be caves and crevices and cracks and robbers and thieves and bandits would basically hide in these areas and wait for vulnerable passersby to come. And they would take advantage of them. They'd jump out, come out of hiding. They would beat them. They would strip them. They would kill them. They would sometimes sexually exploit them. They would steal money from them. And that's what happened to this person. This man is walking down this path and these bandits come out and they beat him 
and they wound him and they hurt him and they take his money and they leave him there for dead. It says he's, he's half dead. He was an, a victim of a gross injustice. He was a victim of a, of a crime where somebody had used their position to take advantage of him and to hurt him and to wound him and to leave him in a vulnerable, destructive situation. And so that's the situation. This person is dying. They're hurting. They're, they're in intense pain, intense loss, intense grief, and they're in desperate need for, for help, for somebody to help. They can't get themselves out of this situation. They're going to need help. And, and then the, the story takes this really interesting turn. It almost feels like it'd be like a first century joke. It's like a, a scribe, a Levite, and a Samaritan walk down a road. And you kind of like get this feel of like what's about to happen right now. So as soon as Jesus turns this corner, he says, now by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, when he saw him, he saw the man hurting, he passed by on the other side. Now, as soon as they hear a priest, you would have thought, oh good, this kind of religious leader, a priest has seen him, a priest has seen this person hurting. Surely the priest of all people, this person that mediates the presence of God to the people and mediates the, peop- the, the, the people to the presence of God, this person that's supposed to reflect the heart of God to humanity, surely this person is going to move towards the person that's hurting. He's a religious leader. If anybody's going to show love, it's going to be this, this priest. And Jesus says the priest saw him, saw him, and decided to move and pass by on the other side, to leave the person still in the middle of that painful situation, to not give attention to or help or support in any way. Then he goes to this next level. He said, so likewise, a Levite, who would have been another person that did different services in the temple, kind of like a junior priest of sorts, a Levite, When he came to the place and he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Uh, Jesus is taking two different groups of people that would have been esteemed socially, that would have been privileged socially, that would have been people that were looked up to religiously as moral exemplars in their culture. And he says, these people who are kind of knowledgeable at the Bible, who are seen as representatives of the heart of God, they saw the hurting person and they passed by on the other side. And then Jesus says this, And this is stunning. It says, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will will repay you when I come back. Jesus chooses to use a Samaritan as the protagonist of the story, as the hero, as the one who's representing the love of God. He says this Samaritan, who was grossly looked down on by the Jewish population, for a lot of reasons, we'll talk about that in a second. The Samaritan saw the man and he felt compassion. His heart in seeing this person in an experience of injustice and pain and having been wounded, his heart leapt up within him and in compassion, he moved toward him in love. And in moving towards him, he finds out what happened and what needs to be done to bring restoration. So he begins immediately to bring healing, ointments, to cleanse and to heal and to bind up and to bring restoration to the man's physical ailments. 
And then knowing he has to do more to get this man healthy, he gets him up. He puts him on his own donkey, sacrificing his own kind of like privilege of his ability to have this ability to go down this road, down this path uh, with more kind of agency, more strength, less vulnerability. And he puts this man up on the donkey and he walks with this man all the way to an inn and he goes to the inn and he begins sacrificing financially and committing not just to immediate help, but to long-term help saying, whatever the cost is to restore this person to life, I will pay. Sacrificially moving to bring restoration to a person who had been grossly hurt. And Jesus says, which of these do you think was a neighbor? Which of these actually approached other human beings as one who would love other people, who would actually manifest the love of God to other people? And the scribe, knowing the answer, he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. I think it's a stunning story. Um, But there's a lot here. What does this story have to do with racial justice? What does it have to do with racial justice? Well, first, it's super important to understand that when the, the... the lawyer summarizes the law with love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. He's summarizing a law that was marked by God's heart for justice. All throughout the Torah, we see over and over and over God's heart for his people to be a people that are passionate about justice and equitable treatment for every image bearer. And the laws are filled with some of these things, pushing the people of God from these pagan backgrounds and cultures towards a society and a community that would show justice, not merely retributive justice. Retributive justice is represented in the law. This is, there's things like the lex talionis or this kind of like law of repayment. This is an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Like if you damage me, you deserve for damage to be done to you. This kind of, kind of retributive system of justice. But the law goes way further into what we could call restorative justice. Actually, kind of addressing the people of God saying what you ought to do is you ought to be a people that are showing generosity to the poor, generosity to the marginalized, generosity and love to the oppressed and generosity and love to the sojourners and the vulnerable in community and the outcasts. That justice in God's mind is not just kind of like, hey, give everybody the same thing. Justice in God's mind is his people moving towards others to care for the most vulnerable, to care for the hurting, to care for the oppressed. And this was written into the law of Moses as a part of God's design for his people. And you see it in like gleaning laws where people that had land ownership would leave some of their food on the fringes of their property. And you see this with Ruth and Naomi gleaning the kind of produce from Boaz's harvest in the book of Ruth. You see this in the Jubilee laws where after 49 years, there was a redistribution of land and property. God knowing that in bent hearted humanity that the wealthy tend to get wealthier and the poor tend to get poorer. And every 49 years, there's a big reset button to be hit and people go back to the land that they had kind of inherited from their fathers in the beginning. These were laws written into the law of Moses about bringing restoration and shalom and equity to humanity. It is beautiful and stunning and very different than the way many people think about justice today. It is powerful. And the people of God are called to embody that sort of heart. And so when, the, when the, the lawyer summarized the law as love God and love neighbor, that call to love neighbor is a summary of a law that has everything to do with justice and righteousness and treating other human beings 
as people who have dignity because they are image bearers of God. And God's vision for the world is that people from different ethnicities and different tribes and different cultures would come together in this beautiful tapestry, this harmony and this unity where together with one voice but diverse perspectives and experiences and, and kind of cultures would come together in languages and would worship God, the one God, Jesus Christ, the lion and the lamb. And that's his vision for the world and his call is for his human beings, his people in this world to represent that heart, to ache for that heart, to yearn for that, and to fight for that, and to pursue that, to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. This is what we're called to care about, to lean into, to fight for. And it's powerful. And in this particular passage, Jesus also intentionally addresses racial divisions. His, his use of the Samaritan as the protagonist, as the hero of the story, is stunning. It would have been so offensive and frustrating to this lawyer, other Pharisees and Sadducees, and the Jewish leaders and the elite in the country because they had experienced an, a huge dividing wall of hostility between the Jewish people and the Samaritans. Hundreds of years of hostility. The Samaritans were seen as compromisers. They were seen as non-Jews or half-Jews. They were seen as those who had morally compromised. They had politically compromised with world superpowers to avoid kind of pain. They had worshipped other gods. They had built a temple in a different land other than Jerusalem. They had fought against the Jewish people during the Hasmonean Revolt and the Maccabean Revolt 200 years before this moment. They were seen as politically divided, morally divided, theologically divided. The Samaritans were seen as less than as dogs which was an incredibly pejorative thing. And the Jewish people would look at these Samaritan dogs with a sense of Jewish supremacy and superiority and look down on this people group and speak against them. They wouldn't even walk near them. And Jesus chooses a Samaritan to say, that Samaritan more represented my heart, my heart of love, my heart of justice. The Samaritan more represented my heart than the people that knew the ins and outs and every jot and tittle of the Hebrew law. The Bible experts misrepresented the heart of God and the Samaritan and Jesus' story represents his heart. And he's intentionally saying, I am here not just to kind of like save a singular people. I'm here to break down walls of hostility. I'm not just reconciling humanity to God because of our sin against God. He is doing that. That's the primary thing he's doing. Taking unrighteous people, justifying us by grace through faith in his work alone. He's reconciling us to God. And that reconciliation is inextricably linked to our call to reflect that reconciling love in our human relationships, in society. And Jesus over and over and over again shows love to the Romans, love to the Samaritans, love to people from different ethnicities and cultures and backgrounds, and always confronting a culture and systemic experiences of, of division and racism and ethnic superiority. And it is powerful to watch him do it again and again and again as he takes his first disciples and walks into Samaria of all places and starts a revival through this multiple times divorced Samaritan woman who brings the good news of the coming of God's kingdom through Jesus Christ the Messiah to the Samaritans. It's powerful. And so Jesus moves in. So what does that mean for us? What does this mean for us in this situation? What does love call us? Love calls us to at least three things. Number one, 
In this passage, when we see the Samaritan, love sees. Love, love sees those who have been hurt by injustice. Love sees. Right now in our world, we have watched for generations and generations, for almost 400 years, oppression and injustice against the black community and against other people of color in this country both from indigenous peoples and the early colonizing movements to slavery, past slavery, after um, the Civil War, into kind of the whole time of Reconstruction, Jim Crow laws during the Civil Rights Movement, and on and on it goes. We have watched marginalized people and minority groups systemically oppressed through racism, which is sin. Racism is just a way to talk about a very particular sin where people self-exalt and choose to take their resources and their strengths and their privileges and the things that, that they have and use them to divide against other people. It's a selfishness. It's evil. It's unjust. And that sin of racism has marked not just individual relationships, but cultures and structures. It's grown up in the fabric of this country for years in legal policies. And so even after the civil rights movement, when we see many of the legal policies changing and a lot of the legal kind of like, um, kind of legalized expressions of racism or racist policies, even as those have gone away, these things still infect and infest our culture and systems in so many ways through kind of like ongoing residue, through housing covenants that happened in the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, through employment and banking and the inability for black people to get loans and own property at different times that set up unjust experiences that still have residue today. And then there's implicit prejudice and bias that affects all of us. That affects all of us. I grew up in a predominantly white community and I had negative opinions and thoughts towards people that looked different than me. I never spoke anything, I never said anything, but I would hear these jokes and kind of laugh and I thought only through this sort of like monolithic lens and didn't see the beauty of God through these diverse people that he's created. Didn't approach other human beings as a learner, but I approached other people like, I see the world more clearly than you. I understand the problems more clearly than you. I understand what needs to happen more clearly than, than you. And this is something God is convicting me of and has been convicting me of regularly for the past several years. Now, am I saying people should have white guilt? Well, unless you're guilty of something, if you are guilty of something, then yes, there's guilt, there's conviction. But to confess that to a God who loves you and forgives you and is gracious to you, we're not saying everybody should be guilty for the color of their skin. That's not what we're saying. But if there are areas where you have participated in or been complicit with or silent about issues of injustice when you could have stepped in to show God's restorative love, then there is guilt. And that's not Shame on you. Let's take that and we acknowledge that and we confess that to God and we turn to him and let him love us and forgive us and let his love move us. And so in this call, we're called to see the hurting, to hear their voices, to hear the cries of people saying, I have been hurt in this country. My experience in this country has been painful due in part to the color of my skin. And to listen to that, not critique that, not question how they expressed it, and why they did it like that. You can have opinions about that stuff, but do you hear the cries of the hurting? Do you see them? But it doesn't just see them. The scribes saw them and moved to the other side. The Levites saw them and moved to the other side. But it doesn't just see, but it feels compassion and moves towards the hurting with compassion. I've, I've watched some people, I've been so encouraged to watch 
churches and pastors and people really leaning into this, seeing God's teaching us stuff. He's growing us. And we're seeing a lot of transformation and hope and movement. But I have heard Christians that are resistant to this conversation for all sorts of different reasons. Some of those reasons are things in their own heart and fears and and a fear of maybe something they experienced or something that uh, they have kind of from their own history and their past. Some of it has been more intellectual, like this concern about where the country might go if we keep focusing on issues of injustice or oppression. So things like critical theory, which I'm really familiar with with what that is. And, and And I see the dangers of approaching the world through that sort of worldview. But that doesn't negate the reality of injustice. If you approach the whole world as this division of the oppressors and the oppressed and the solution to this problem is for the oppressed to rise up and some redistribution of wealth and that's what's going to make the world right and that's what's going to bring shalom and the kingdom of God, that's not God's vision for the world. God's vision for the world is to redeem and restore his people, to fill us up with his love and his spirit and to transform our hearts. And when he does that, then yes, we totally ought to see areas where there have been injustice, where we've participated, been complicit or silent about those. And love moves us with compassion to pay attention and to learn. And so we start learning. Read books. Uh, There are so many good books. We've created a resource page, parkchurchdenver.org forward slash diversity. We have books uh, encouraging people to read Woke Church by Eric Mason. It's wonderful. He's a pastor in our church planning network. There's another, church, another book called The Color of Compromise by Jamar Tisby. There's also a video series about this on Amazon Prime. You can watch it on Right Now Media as well. But just to start learning and say, I want to I listen. I want to learn. I want to pay attention. What happened? How did this happen? And what can I do to help? That's what it means to lean in with compassion. What happened? You might have opinions, you might have questions, but it's your heart to lean in. And if it's not to lean in, why? What, why are you resistant? Now, that's not most of you. A lot of you are just like hungry. What can I do? That's what's powerful about this passage. He doesn't just see, he doesn't just feel and move towards, but he begins, he begins to make personal sacrifices to work towards this man's restoration. So what can we do as a church community to make personal sacrifices to bring healing reconciliation and restoration into systems and experiences of injustice? That's a hard question. That looks different for all of us. There are immediate things. What can I do right now? I can acknowledge the reality. You know, it's a really healing thing when, when people who have previously been silent begin to acknowledge like this was wrong. This is wrong and I don't see it all and I don't get it all and I might be saying things unhelpfully or in, in kind of uneducated or, or less informed ways but I, I can tell this is wrong and I want to learn and I want to grow. This is wrong. You can speak about that. There's there's a problem with virtue signaling, right? A post on Facebook is an insufficient thing. Like, look, I care about this thing and I'm on this side. Uh, that's, That's an insufficient thing. But actually speaking and saying, I care, I see, I acknowledge, is a piece of a healing process. It's something you can do. You can begin to learn. You can actually actually get proximate to people who are different than you. Brian Stevenson, who is the founder of Equal Justice Initiative, who spoke at Redeemer City to City, Tim Keller's church a few years back, spoke about the importance of proximity, to get proximate to other people who see the world differently than you. Like follow different people on social media, read different news outlets, none of which are super helpful right now. But just like look at different perspectives and try to understand what people are feeling and hearing. And if they're doing something, you're like, why would you do that? Stop and try to consider it from a different angle and pay attention to get proximate. But also you have to think about long-term. What has God called you to and how can you be attentive to the experiences of injustice in the world 
And how can you, with your vocation, with your family, in your neighborhood, at your workplace, with passion, with your time in the margins or whatever space you have to say, God, I can't do everything. It's not my job to fix the whole world, but what could I do? How can I move towards people with love and make sacrifices to bring justice into the world, to reflect the heart of God? Where does that come from? It doesn't come from something we can generate. This isn't like, hey, be an activist, and by being an activist, all of a sudden God will be happy with you. This is because of the love of God, because of his love for you. I love in this passage, it says the man saw him, and he had compassion, and he moved towards him. You know, those are the same phrases that are used to talk about the father in the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son recognized his brokenness, that he had turned from God. And as he's coming back, feeling the weight of his guilt and his shame and thinking, what am I going to have to do to atone for myself and get myself out of this situation? I'll, I'll just kind of take this second-rate seat in God's family or my father's family. And as the father saw him, he felt compassion for him, and he ran to him. And that's what God has done for us in Jesus. Jesus has paid the price to restore our life and calls us to be a people that embody his heart to the world. Let's pray. Um, Jesus, we need you now. We need you so desperately right now. I feel sad for those who have been hurt by injustice in our world. I feel sad for the ways that I've been silent and complicit. I feel sad that the church, gospel-loving, Bible-loving people haven't been at the center of this conversation, driving this conversation. But I also feel hopeful because you are the reconciling God, that you had the power to reconcile humanity to yourself and you have the power to bring reconciliation into this world. And so Jesus, would you pour out your spirit on us? Give us grace and humility and love and patience and sacrificial posture and generosity towards one another. Would you bind us together? Would you help us to be your people, that we would be a light in this world, that we would be leaders, thoughtful, wise leaders, in the efforts of justice in this world because we want to represent your heart. We want to love our neighbors as ourselves. In Christ's name, amen.